0: Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series.
1: This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 8, Necessary Evil, teleplay by Peter Allen Fields and directed by James L. Conway. This episode aired on November 14th, 1993.
0: This week on Deep Space Nine, an attempt on Quark's life reopens a five-year-old murder investigation. Ooh. Well, here we are, season two, episode eight, and we have a film noir in Star Trek. We do.
1: um, before we start, can I just comment that the fancy Bajoran lady, Vatric Palra, has the most extravagant Bajoran earring I have literally ever seen.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, because it had like it was long and it had those like giant space pearls, yes, or it had things. at least and, yeah, two was... space
1: pearls. <laughs> I yeah. was like, this is amazing. Because normally, um, you know, I know Bajorans all wear earrings and they're usually very similar. Like I haven't seen one. Well, I just hadn't noticed anyone's this fancy. So now I have to just like watch for everyone's earrings in this show. Who knew?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like in that initial kind of scene, like the like initial like preview or teaser or whatever, when um Mrs. Vatra is talking to to quark and i'm sure this will come up later and she's in that nice satin dress mm-hmm. and the lighting and the storm and all it kind
1: of looks just... like a wedding dress to me
0: yeah yeah it was just very um and i guess going with the noir stuff and we can we can maybe get into the noir tropes and what what film noir is here in a second the ways this episode fits into it but uh Polara's definitely our our femme character. Oh, for she sure. Kind of hires Quark to do a job, and Quark ends up fighting for his life. Yes, literally yes, almost
1: yes. dying. Um. So, I so before we go real quick, like I guess which will lead us into our film more discussion. I really enjoyed that Odo did a daily log and is now recording a daily log. It. I honestly do not remember if this ever comes up again, but I enjoy when a show changes perspectives for an episode, but it really works because with the, you know, you're going to get into this probably, but like the Daily Log as a voiceover just really works for a film noir.
0: Yeah, totally. And that's, that's kind of like one of the, I think of like that, that detective or main character kind of perspective voiceover is one of kind of the main kind of features you see, one of the the, the tropes of, like, a noir story. Um, I was a little perturbed at first when, like, you know, before kind of we get to some of the, the hard-boiled uh you know, more detectiveing, detective Detectiving. Um, that 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 Odo does in this story, where it's like, oh, I have to do this log because they don't trust me. Grumble, grumble, grumble. <laughs> Everything's under control. End log. I'm like, ugh, like that. That's like early Odo that like we've been kind of low key complaining about right. on and off or having conflicted feelings about right. for a season and eight episodes. Um but what I really I so full disclosure, I am a sucker for noir stories. <laughs> I love how you said full um, disclosure
1: like like it wouldn't have been obvious
0: in your discussion about this. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair, fair enough. Um but as like a sucker for noir stories, I like Was really into this episode. And I think. One of the things that I really. Connect with or. Enjoy about noir. Is. Some of the moral ambiguity of it. And I do think. That this episode despite some. You know. Still come long running complaints that I still share. That we'll get into about. You know Odo as a character and and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um this episode really worked for me and adding kind of like a lot of um, kind of complexity and, and kind of that the noir tropings on Odo kind of really worked for me. Um, but just because all of our, our listeners may not be familiar with what film noir is, if at least you'll, you'll indulge me Oh, yes. I, I should say kinda...
1: less obvious probably because I'm not the one that's going to go into this. I also love film noir as a style so I'm very excited for you to enlighten all of us.
0: Yeah, and like full disclosure this is going to be like pretty high level and like, you know, you can definitely read more, listen to more find specific noir podcasts if there is any, send them to me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there are Um, but different things like I like I don't know, like, Billy Wilder is one of my, like, favorite directors. Um, Same. So, yeah. yeah. No. Um, which he didn't just do noir, but, like... Yeah, my favorite movie of his well. is a
1: comedy, so...
0: Yeah. Well, what so film noir is, like, a genre. is It has common elements, and I'll go through those here in a second. But what's also kind of interesting, when I was doing some you know research to affirm that like i could put words to what i know and talk about because when i get excited i kind of just go a mile a minute listeners as, as you may recall from previous episodes but it's kind of like screwball comedy where like we can agree we like yes me and film historian um, <laughs> academics agree that it's a genre that exists but it's not super unified and standard and super easy to classify, like say something like a romantic comedy or a Western or things like that. It's more a collection of vibes <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to be completely honest and use kind of like an anachronistic definition, but there are kind of key elements and like the important thing to remember too when I say that it is kind of a lot of vibes and like a lot of mood film, noir especially in like the, the American context Um, comes out of like German expressionism in the 1920s Um, as it plays with kind of like lighting and tone and things like that. So like saying it's a lot of, of vibes definitely I think is, is sounds funny, but isn't inaccurate either. Um, But yeah, so here are some, some calm elements that we can use to classify what a film noir is in terms of an existing genre or like, you know, like, noir stories and things like that, um, they often share similar elements of, like, a visual style, right, so different kind of lighting schemes, low-key lighting schemes is is seen a lot in classic film noirs, we see light and dark contrasts, um, shadow patterning, um, And just, like, a lot of, like, shadows and darkness and, and, you know, things like this and and contrast, basically, which is something that I think this episode does quite well for a syndicated first-run show episode of television as it uses um, the flashbacks and the lighting between kind of, you know, the flashbacks and even... You know, like that that mood piece with the candles and and everything else, right? And the, the smoke of Noor. and it, you know, it's a nice way to delineate Noor from Deep Space Nine and occupation past versus um, our our kind of Federation reality. So, but it also like can fit into those those kind of tropes there. Um, speaking of the flashbacks. Noirs often have similar structural and narrative devices, right? So they usually have convoluted storylines, often involving flashbacks and other editing techniques to kind of obscure the narrative and as the story kind of reveals its mystery to you and and makes the connections, right? Voiceover narration, which is what we kind of talked about in the the logs, um, and sometimes again used as device in which the flashbacks and things like that are structured, is a major major thing in noirs, and they're generally associated with that kind of first narr first person narrative perspective, like in this case Odo and and things like that. Right. Um, another good example, and you I think general consensus on this is it's not to uh, a very good effect um, because it gets removed in both the final cut and the theatrical cut but uh blade runner is a subgenre of neo noir like more modern noir called techno noir specifically kind of that that science fiction one and the original director's cut of blade runner featured some um Arguably unenthusiastic narration from from Harrison Ford in, in doing that. So again, it's it's definitely a, an element of it. I um, uh, no
1: our story. I just watched. Sorry, I had just watched the final cut of Blade Runner recently, and I don't remember if I had seen the cut with the voiceover, but I don't think the story misses it when it's gone. Like the final cut was wonderful, even sans voice narration. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I think like in terms like to go into briefly down a, a Blade Runner
1: <laughs> only because it's on um, my mind lately.
0: Yeah, no, 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 for sure. <laughs> um, I can see and I've seen folks perspectives who actually do like the the voiceover narration because it fits the type of detective story or noir story right. that, that Blade Runner is. Um, and I can like get behind it and like you can read myriad of interviews on like you know the urban legend is that like Harrison Ford hated doing it so like he bombed it on purpose but like there are other quotes that kind of dissuade that but there's this real and I guess light spoilers for Blade Runner but it's from 1982 so skip ahead 30 seconds if you really care um but in Roy Batty's death scene there's this great famous monologue that he does and in the original version, you don't get the same time to kind of sit with that. Mm-hmm. You know his with Recker Howard's great uh, monologue. Yes. The, the 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 voiceover just kind of cuts in, and then Harrison Ford's as Deckers like, I don't know why Roy said that. Blah 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 blah, and it just like cuts a lot of the power, at least for me, out of out of that. I moment.
1: could see but, that having um, seen the version without the voiceover. Yeah. Uh. That is All such right. a good scene. Anyway. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think that whole scene, like, kind of elevates the movie, to to be honest. Because, like, that's your kind of final taste, of one of the final tastes of the movie. Right. Um, And then that sticks with you. I haven't watched the original Blade Runner in a long time. I should probably, like, go back to it at some point. But, like, every time I watch it, it's, like, I like it. But, like... I like it a little less than I remember liking it because I think that that scene just sticks with me. My hot take is Blade Runner 2049 is is better than Blade Runner, but I've also seen it a couple times more recently.
1: I still haven't watched that, but Blade Runner, the final cut, was amazing. And I just recommend that version to everyone.
0: All right, so back to Matt. Is noir this a Star Trek corner. podcast? I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Noirs often share plots, characters, and settings. Um, there's a crime that usually is... Crime is usually an element of film noir, usually murder. Hey, this episode checks that box as well. And it, it's basically like if there's any kind of like deadly sin sort of thing... Um, that's going to be part of a noir story greed jealousy lust and like all motivations for crimes um the crime investigation is either done by is usually done by like a private eye like a private detective sometimes they're police but normally they're kind of on their own going rogue going against the system um or just a concerned amateur um those tend to be prevalent prevalent like um yeah there's like an one of my favorite films directed by Billy Wilder um, which I think I like this more I don't know I liking Double Indemnity more than Sunset Boulevard is is a hot take um, I, actually, I
1: actually was going to ask you when you were done describing all of this like is the real lesson here that we're going to watch Double Indemnity after we rec- finish recording <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe um, but yeah Double Indemnity revolves around like an insurance plot so, like, they're, the narrator's an insurance agent, and then the investigator character is like an insurance investigator. Um, so, it doesn't necessarily have to be like private eyes or things like that, but that tends to be where a lot of it is. Um, and then, yeah, ultimately, like, film noirs tend to revolve around moral gray, right? So, the main characters tend to be flawed or morally questionable in their actions. Um. yeah, which again, I think Odo kind of, you know, fits that as well, and I think putting Odo in this kind of structure works better for me, and then ultimately, film noir, noir stories share a kind of worldview, morality, and tone. Um, ultimately, it's kind of pessimistic, and again, that kind of moral ambiguity of of the people and the situations and things like this and ultimately when we're talking about classic film noir which is a a 1940s and 1950s thing so kind of during World War II and then post-World War II um, film noir provides many kind of criticisms of the American social landscape of of that era right the heightened anxieties of the war kind of after war the the reconstruction and a lot of why um you get kind of the detective stories being like private eyes or former cops or things like that is because noir recognizes i think in my pessimistic view quite op- quite honestly and realistically how fucked up and how broken the world is and the the oppression of like the systems that we have put in place and so it's like someone in that ambiguity fucking dirty ass broken world trying who's also a dirty broken ass fucking person that's been complicit in some of these things and just trying to do like that that little bit of of good and like you know light of the shit. And I think that's ultimately what works for me, and Noir. Thank you for coming to Blade Runner and Noir Corner. <laughs> now back to your regularly scheduled Star Trek podcast. <laughs> um I like
1: the I feel like I know a lot of the things that you just said, but not had but hadn't like put it all together. So that was actually really helpful. So I appreciate you explaining film noir to me and everyone
0: <laughs> and like yeah there's you can go down a hole like rabbit holes and it's just like really interesting to me that like it comes out of german expressionism and though it, it as like a movement and it just yeah anyways there are some great rom stuff in this episode too hey like as as i talk about Odo in a noir working for me. And, you know, we have, like, the noir archetypes, like, with the femme fatale and, you know, things like that with, with Mrs. Mattrick. um In this story, I'm starting to finally recognize Rom. <laughs> um, bef- As the Rom I know from later in the yeah. series. Sorry, go ahead.
1: <laughs> I, my main comment on Rom was, can we talk about his scream at the end of the movie?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Like... Uh, I enjoyed that rom was like went very quickly to calling quarks his bar, and like his brother wasn't even dead <laughs>
0: uh. well and like and like in terms of like things not a necessarily appear like looking how they appear, and you know the things like this as the narrative unfolds in in that kind of classic film noir sort of way, um Odo even like admits it's like... You know rom, I've called you, and uh, he doesn't say it this way, but it's like I have, and the show has called you an idiot before, but you're a lot smarter than you look right right,
1: which is what' so I've been just, saying yeah. the whole time because yeah yep. not, and I don't yep. think it's a spoiler to say a character gets growth like over seven seasons yeah. of a show, but like that this is not this has not been the roM that I know and love, but this episode you're right, it yeah. really feels it feels like. The Rom that we know. And speaking of Ferengi in general, <laughs> I really liked <laughs> um, the use of Quark to tell Kira- Like, this was essentially a Kira and Odo episode, I would say. Yeah. But I like the use yeah. of Quark to tell their story, though I guess it's obvious since he was the only other main character that was on the station during the occupation, so it would be weird if he was not involved in the flashbacks um while i don't think he was given like a ton to do like obviously he had the deal at the beginning um and then like he ha- most of the episode he's like lay- you know lying down trying not to die the it didn't feel <laughs> like forced like oh hey let's just throw cork into this plot it was very believable to me that he would have done something shady in the flashback timeline and in the present day timeline.
0: Totally. And, but like, I think too, one of the things that I really appreciated about the quark scenes in this episode, again, it being a war and, you know, some of the, the different tropes that we just went through. Um, I think we see some of that same nuance and complexity that we, an ambiguity that we're talking about with Odo with, with Quark in this episode, which is like a whole new set of tropes that we layer on to the characterization of Quark compared to like season one, when it's very clear, he is the shady Western town saloon owner, bartender with the brothel hall of suites upstairs. Right. Right. Um, and by giving him these, these more noir tropes and then setting it during the occupation, we see him again for a price willing to lie to give, Kira an alibi, putting extra tea, and you know the order, the black market orders that you know he gives the the Vatricks mm-hmm. and, and things like this, and so it's like, again, yeah, quark is out for himself, but he's not incapable of like being more than that, right? And like you know, yeah, like doing Mrs. Something... Vatrick
1: found him to be kind, you know, that she's to tell, tells yeah. him to his face. And you can see why. I mean, I also think she's manipulating him, but that's a whole other. That's oh, totally, a, totally, totally. But um, yeah. Well, speaking of that scene with Quirk and Vatrick at the beginning, do you want to get into our uh, present day part of this episode? I, don't, I know I sure. know this episode intertwines a lot but I kind I had my notes mostly in present day versus flashback but we can t- and then like kind of a conclusion so we can start and see where see where we go <laughs> Um so basically uh Mrs. Vatrick or I guess she's just Vatrick in the f- present day because her, her husband had died 5 years prior Um, I don't really know the... uh, I'm very not into the Mr. and Mrs. Joe Smith. Like, I... Whatever. I I don't like Mr. and Mrs. Like, in general, formalities and blah, blah, blah. I don't know why i mean. So do we
0: want to just then call her? Because Palra actually has a first name and her husband doesn't. So we'll call Palra Palra and call Vatrick. We're referring to her husband then. sounds perfect.
1: Or I might just say Vatrick you know, Palra versus Vatric. Okay. So So. Vatric Palra has asked Cork to do some sneaky shit. Um, basically she wants him to like break into some, um, area. And then I'm laughing that Rom has like a way to make it easier or whatever. (laughs) Like we said, we have more Rom being smart or like knowing how to do things. He's not as incapable as we've seen him previously. Um, But anyway, so Quark finds this list of people of Cardass or of Bajorans that had collaborated with the Cardassians during the occupation, and you know it's clear Quark was not supposed to be opening the box that he found. You know, but like all of us, Quark is like, "What's in the box?" Um, (laughs) and then uh, Vatric Palra's buddy, who I don't know if we ever find out their name. Um, tries to kill Quark. <laughs> I do. Do you think it's part of like the noir thing or just in general, like police procedurals? For Odo's first thought to interview Rom, like to think, oh, it must be maybe the brothers
0: involved. Yeah, I think. I think yeah, that was. It works within the noir trappings, but I think it also like we see that a lot in just police procedurals. Yeah, anyways. that makes sense. Um, where like Odo knows Rom knows more, and then Odo and um, Cisco end up doing the good cop bad cop routine. Right? Yeah.
1: So. Do you think that that was planned, or do you think that just happened because? cisco like was being like i couldn't tell if cisco was being earnest like rom's a family friend his son is very close to my boy which felt very like it is all about who you know in the justice system to me (laughs) yeah um although you know i don't think cisco would have stopped odo from questioning him at all but maybe he didn't want him accusing him
0: so i don't okay (laughs) Here's here's my headcanon. Um, I think it was purposeful. I don't think they, like, met outside and planned. Right. I just think they kind of, like, fell into that, that Got it. rhythm. That makes sense. Um, like, it just
1: felt natural to do yeah. it that way to them. Yeah.
0: And, hey, it worked.
1: <laughs> it really did, because Odo found out that the box with the list was in an area that reminded him of this thing that happened five years ago. So, he talks to Kira about it, and they're convinced that the cork incident is related to Vatrick um, Powell's husband getting murdered back in the day. Um, we don't get a lot here, but we do... Like, one thing I like about, and I, I'll talk to, about this more once we get into the flashbacks, is we, we learn a little bit at a time, which obviously you said is part of the film noir style of storytelling, but I, it, it works so well because... I felt knowing a little bit at a time, like they were giving us, you know, little droplets of information. I really felt I'm talking very much with my hands right now. I felt very um, interested in the plot and what was going to happen next. And it really just kept me super interested. So, you know, that we find out that Kira and Odo um, were involved in some issue that happened five years ago. And while uh, Kira might not have been guilty of what they were, what Odo had been investigating. She was probably guilty of something, and he, you know, he let it he let her slide on whatever it was. And it also goes m- more into why I think it's an episode for both of them. You know, we learn a lot about yeah. their past, which I am going to get into later. But um, you know, so Odo talks to Kira about it. He he wants to inter interview Vatric palra a little bit more um it was just you know he's he's doing his normal i gotta question all the people involved um i did i don't know do you want to get into your columbo thing now (laughs) i'm trying to like think of
0: yeah no that's fair so like at the end of the um interview that or the questioning that Odo does with Palra, um, he's like, okay, yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, great. for like, cause, and like, he, its very clear to him that Palra is like lying to him, right? And he's like, okay, I'm gonna go. Oh, and then he turns around and goes, oh, one more thing. <laughs> um, that's a very like Columbo moment, cause Columbo did that a lot. Uh, yes. And actually, was it Peter Allen Fields? Is that who wrote the mm-hmm. episode? Yep. Yeah, he used to write. Uh, work on Columbus. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's so funny. And stuff like that. So it's like a, a double kind of thing. So we have a detec- the tech, the detective referencing the detective and yeah.
1: Oh, that reminds me. I had rewatched the um the Deep Space Nine documentary um within the last week and I was sad because the scene where all the writers came back to like discuss like what would happen on the next episode of Deep Space Nine after it ended. Um, Peter Allen Fields wasn't there, so I like didn't get to see what he looks like. I was like, I got to see a bunch of the other writers, which was pretty cool. But no, Peter. Columbo is on my list of shows that I'm like debating giving time to because of how much I loved Murder She Wrote. Um, yeah, it just seems really up my alley. Um, I. I just, yeah. I love a mystery story, folks. <laughs> <clears throat> so after after Odo's talk with Vatric Palra, someone that he had mentioned to her was was one of the names on the list, um, or associated with one of the names on the list. It was very unclear if it, it was, was
0: close based on what it was wrong close. So remember. they kind of yeah, yeah. assumed
1: it was the same person. So that person died yeah. and. Odo was like, this is all my fault. I shouldn't have... But, like, you... I, I don't know. Like, I don't want to absolve him of guilt because I have lots of feelings about him, but, like, you're not responsible for someone else killing someone else. Unless you, like, force them to do it. But, you know, I think they try to throw that in to make Odo seem more human and stuff. Right. One thing that happened in present day, but it was at the end of the episode, so, I mean, we can discuss it now or later, was that Kira basically just tells Odo how much his opinion and friendship means to her, and this scene was really, really nice for me. I th- like, Kira definitely gets emotional about her causes, and obviously... Um, when Kaiopaka dies, and so she's not like an unemotional person, but I haven't, except for Kaiopaka, which I felt that was a very religious thing, and that mu- felt like an exception to me. She's not always so right. emotional with people and her feelings about people. So I really enjoyed watching her get a little vulnerable while talking to Odo. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and, like, we've seen them, and, like, I think we've even, like, wait, how long have you guys, until we, like, got to this episode and realized that they met five years ago? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, wait, you've worked together a week? Like, yeah.
1: come
0: on. Um, how can you be, like, best friends? I mean,
1: we still don't know, um, like, how many times they saw each other over the next five years, but still. Or four years, because yeah. they've definitely seen each other, like, every day for the last four years. Or, sorry, the last year, yeah, I mean. So-
0: yeah, so we definitely like get to see the start of like they've known, he- they've been aware of each other, um, longer than I think we kind of assumed earlier, and like, yeah, I think that's like one of the cool things, and I guess one of the more kind of noir tropey things about this episode is like the reveal that Odo let Kira get away. With what he thought was just sabotage by being sympathetic to the Bajoran cause and being somewhat anti-occupation, despite still working for Ducat, which is complicated. Um, right. Realize that he actually let the murderer away and has been like besties with the murderer <laughs> for a long time, and it's like, oh, they're friends. Like the the feeling at the end of the episode. Is that their relationship's never gonna be The same again Um That's like the type of like moral ambiguity And kind of the the pessimistic Worldview that like I dig it
1: Yeah I so Yeah it was good I really really liked this episode also Um it, I I I don't know I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this on the podcast that I normally watch every episode twice but like sometimes you know watching something to I don't ever watch them on the same day like I don't watch it on the same day but like I was so looking forward to rewatching this episode after watching it the first time so um, yeah. yeah it was great. Um, I, we, you know, we touched on this earlier, but to get into the flashback, I just really loved how the flashback intersected with the present day storyline, you know, and gave us the the little bit of information over time. You know, I believe I mentioned that already. Um, and this goes along with the film noir tropes that you mentioned earlier, especially with regard to the lighting. They did such a good job of making it like super duper obvious between flashback and present day, um. I recently lo- they didn't need the lost sounds. So <laughs> yeah, I recently watched um the K drama Crash Landing on you, and that has a lot of flashbacks, but most of them are like from the same year as present time um there are some that are older, but like it's very hard to it was very hard for me and s- no. It took a while, maybe, like, watching the whole first episode to kind of get into the style of the flashback because it looked exactly the same. There was no, um, col- you know, color difference between the present day and the past. Um, the only way you could, like, tell is by what was being discussed or done in the scene because you, like, then would realize that the you've already seen, pa- you know, what happens after that. So it was like a little, right. like this made it extremely easier. And obviously this show, ha- Deep Space Nine, has one episode to help te- teach us this story, you know, this yeah. plot, when Crash Landing on You had, you know, 16 episodes, you know, hour and 20 minute episodes. So it's a different format, obviously. But um, just the flashback having the, gray, the grayish tinge over everything, and they had everyone's looking a little bit different you know kira has that long ponytail they have their different outfits so that kind of helped also
0: yeah and like something that i really enjoyed and liked about like the use of like flashbacks is like for our like three principal. well i guess four if you include quark but like you say, after a certain point he's fighting for his life in in the infirmary. So I'll say, like our three kind of main characters are two leads in, in Odo and Kira and then our guest star in, in Paula. Um they're still directly impacted by Vatrick's murder and all of like the circumstances and all the things that are being revealed to us like in the flashbacks. So it's it's like Still, very present on on their minds, oh, and especially as you know, the stuff relates to you know reliving it and reinvestigating, you know, the inve- reopening the investigation and stuff like that. But it's just like they still carry that incident from five years ago with them, and probably like always, well, like especially now, with Kira and Odo. I'm thinking here, yeah, and it's like, yeah, it's just. it's just so good
1: it is and like so another something that we've talked about and we've touched on it a little bit you know already but something that we've talked about a bunch of times on this podcast is how you know odo and kira are friends and we don't we don't know why because you know obviously odo it was the security um head of security when the Cardassians were in occupation. But we see this time period where he wasn't working for them yet. Like, this was the first... The flashback is the first time that Gold Dukat or any Cardassian had asked Odo for help. Prior to this, Odo was kind of just acting as, like, a peaceful mediator, like, an unofficial peaceful mediator between the Bajorans. Like, if there was, like, an argument of how many blankets do we have and how many people need to keep warm and that kind of thing. So, Gol Dukat kind of uses that knowledge that Odo acts in that way and says, hey, well, you know, we're here too. Maybe you can help us with something. And... I just, and I don't think we ever find this out, but I do kind of wonder like, between this flashback where Odo does this investigation and lets Kira go to when he's working as a security person there, like I, wh- I I still feel like those are two lines that are far apart that there's more to the story and I don't remember if we ever get more um, because he doesn't seem satisfied with like the Cardassians and how they want to act. So it just seems weird, still weird to me how he goes from that to like really working with them.
0: Yeah. And like it, this episode really like, especially the flashbacks, like really hammer home. Like the idea of Odo as the alienated outsider. Mm -hmm. Um, between like his disdain for like the Cardassians because they, all they want him to do is like, you know, do the the neck trick and you know everyone's heard of it and he's just trying to like, you know, live his life and and not be allowed right. That, and there's that know, one scene where Quirk,
1: like tries to hire him to be entertainment in the bar like that, like the yeah. like he's a sideshow that the first show. Time I met, right yeah yeah
0: like yeah. like he's a, side a side show, show or something freak. exactly yeah. Yeah, and it, like, and where Dukat and Odo meet in the chemist shop and, you know, Ducat like, hires him, I guess, or charges him with leading the investigation into Vatrick's murder. I would say he like, kind of de- oh,
1: deputized him because he doesn't really give him, like, a choice.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, Odo gets kind of, like his digs in about you know the occupation and kind of like we see where Odo's perspective on the occupation is and like and it's just again it works for me because it you see how he's both kind of alienated from from everyone but then like he ultimately even after this case still ends up being the like sheriff or like you know investigator, like, arbiter of, like, justice adjacent to the Cardassians and, like, Odo's perspective on, like, collaborators even, like, in the present is wholly unsurprising and thinking, oh, collaborators are bad but it's, like, where's the line with your own kind of collaboration like, right? But, like, then again, this is part of, I guess, the ambiguity that this episode has all around us where it's, like, Odo is kind of trapped, right? Like you said, he gets deputized and he doesn't really, like, have a choice. And, like, it adds this other... At least the episode wants us to think he doesn't have a choice. Right. Um, he can... I feel like so Odo could to... easily,
1: like, slink away on a ship and get out of there.
0: Yeah. But, like, I do think that the episode is trying to add some of that noir ambiguity to Odo's time during the occupation which I think in the long run works for me I um but then it's like when he's all like oh collaborators boo I'm like but aren't you a because like, you know we go back to that all that stuff and like we we talked early on in season one about like the bathification and like Odo sticking around you know now working for the Bajorans and kind of the uncomfortableness that's that's there and like i still i still stand by it all and i don't think it's it's great but i do appreciate that the ambiguity that this episode at least presents to us now so far right yeah
1: um for sure no i i i agree and and it could be that you know Ducott kept threatening him in some way and that's how he kept him working you know I say on his payroll but who knows how you know what that really was about if they get um paid or not but um no I I can see that and like I say that I don't know how we, we get to it from A to B but like it it doesn't make me lose sleep at night I don't it's fine <laughs> that we I don't have that right. information. <laughs>
0: Right, right,
1: right. Um, So just to kind of summarize, like, what happens in the past is, you know, Vatrix's husband was murdered, and she says he was having an affair with Kira, which seems like a weird thing, because, like, he might have seen, she might have seen them together, but, like, nothing happened, and she'd only been there for, like, a week or two, um... And then Kira was really just on the station to do some sabotage. Um, She's really not involved in this murder at all. So,
0: sabotage. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Which is like a Star Trek song now. (laughs) I guess eh? (laughs) it.
0: In two Star Trek movies. Um, James Kirk's favorite band, classical music band, The Beastie Boys.
1: (laughs) I have to admit, when it showed up at Star Trek 2009, I was thrilled. But I like it even more in Star Trek beyond um so we have this whole scene kind of like in the last like third of the episode where Odo has this monologue where he basically just admits that he doesn't think that just or he's starting to th- not think that justice is blind anymore um. I wanted to discuss like kind of how we felt about this scene. I, I I'll fully admit that it makes him somewhat more likable to me even though that might be like the lowest of bars considering he's still a cop. <laughs> and spoiler alert for the next episode, he will still be a cop in the next episode. <laughs> um so this this whole scene to me played as about like police um reform versus like abolition you know like he wants to he doesn't want to change anything he just thinks he can work better within the system that exists already that's the impression that that i got from this which is frustrating even though it's completely to be expected in my opinion um but i also am wondering would there be would there actually be justice by proving that paul uh that Paula was involved in killing her husband versus knowing it and not proving it. Like, then we can always go further into is someone being in jail justice or is someone getting um, executed justice? And it just seems to me that... Basically, I don't know if I... I don't agree with Odo's definition of what justice is. Um, which is also to be expected in in this um you know, this nineties television show. I don't know. What did you what do you think about this? Yeah. <laughs> <Fair>. uh... <laughs> I mean, you don't have to say anything, I just like wanted to No say things. It's just like
0: it's it's tough for me and like it like i mean yes i co-signed everything you say what's what's tough is because like i like do have a level of like analysis and like i think it's interesting that wrote roto, roto, roto <laughs> that's that's Odo. that's odo's
1: dog's um. name
0: <laughs> roto <laughs> uh, that's funny roto the shapeshifter dog yes um Instead of like Ace the Bat Dog, <laughs> anyway, just
1: I for dogs, some reason yeah. I like just pictured like Scooby Doo saying Ro Ro or something or like whatever animated R-row. dog said that I don't remember. But anyway, R-row.
0: <laughs> R-row. yeah, Ro yeah, Ro. Right. <laughs> Sorry, that's my Astro voice. Oh Astro,
1: R-row. that's who um, I was thinking. Yes, you're right. From the Jetsons. Yeah, from mm-hmm.
0: Jetsons. Yep. Do, 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 do. Oh, wait, no, that's. Uh, wait. Um, Hold on. Anyway. I mean, Astro sounds like Scooby Doo.
1: I guess. I wonder if it's the same, like, voice actor. <laughs> anyway,
0: I mean, it's not important. Both Hanna Barbera joins. Yeah. Not, it's... Come to Pod Race, get a crash course in film noir, and talk about Hanna Barbera and Blade Runner. We, <laughs> we love this chaotic podcast. Um, No, but I was going to say, we're like. Odo, not Roto, going down a Roto fucking rabbit rabbit hole again. Um, says that his sense of justice is like a racial trait, and whoever's people are, you know, they they gave him that, which I think is like an interesting perspective, like in some ways, like theologically. Because um, I need to kind of get in My brain goes to the idea of like The concept of like original sin Versus you know Because like actually like, our senses of like Like mo- like morality and justice And like all these things we're talking about Where it's like how much of that is like Intrinsic to our being or how much of that is like socially constructed Around us um, And like I think that's some of my problems with Odo And like and all this stuff, and like I do I do have a lens of analysis. I'm just like kind of keeping it under my my hat for now, and it might be something to come back to if and when we're done the series um yeah, because it's kind of. It's easy for me to fall into kind of heavy, like, retroactive plus seven seasons spoiler territory, and I don't know if I want to do that. That's fair.
1: Just to circle back, since we're not going to... I don't think we should get into that spoiler. Um, The actor... The voice actor, Don Messick, voiced both Scooby-Doo, Scrappy-Doo, and Astro, and at times Papa Smurf and Muttley and a bunch of other and maybe like yeah so i was right the same voice actor good job but you got me there by saying they sounded similar I'm sorry you like went into this whole thing and then I was like actors Um, but yeah no I I get what you're saying and I don't think we should spoil it we think we should save that for when it comes up or when we wrap things up
0: yeah and I think even more specifically um, in future seasons there's There's kind of like a sequel to this episode or like a mirror, not a direct sequel, right. but like a mirroring, which is like going to be kind of interesting to talk about once we, we get there Yeah. Too. I don't remember what episode um, you're
1: referring to.
0: I'll tell you off, bot. Okay. Um, that works. And yeah, I guess just before we kind of move into, you know, our kind of closing segment oh, yeah. of the episode. I did have one more thing um, I wanted to talk
1: about before that.
0: Yeah, no. Cool, cool, cool. I just wanted to, to ask... I think this is the first time we've seen Taraknor during the occupation. Is that correct? I believe so.
1: Lots of... Yeah. Lots of gates.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was trying to remember... Like, I thought it... I think it is... But then whenever there's something like this where I think, I'm like, oh, someone's going to listen. Like, <laughs> you know, tell me I'm wrong, which fair enough. And when I am a, when I am wrong, please let us know. I mean, know my attitude does. is
1: more um, like it doesn't really matter. So don't tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> but we're different people <laughs> with different um, thoughts on it.
0: Yeah. Um, but I'm pretty sure this is like the first time we've yeah i don't recall having seen it before and
1: i'm i'm completely joking like i do not actually mind if someone corrects me as long as you do it respectfully um but yes i did you have (laughs) were you going to say something about it being our first time like discussing what it looks like or
0: well no because we talked about how it's like you know like Like you mentioned the gates and how Mm -hmm. it's lit and like, it's just... It looks
1: very unfriendly. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that while Odo didn't want to turn Kira in, in general, he uses semantics for him, for it to work for himself logically, I think, like, um, by saying... He said to her, "You know, you were not guilty of the charge I was investigating." You know, he would. He. Do we think, being that he's security officer, so he's basically the, the police officer now. He's not just a detective or someone who just he does investigate. He's like in a detective and a patrolman kind of all in one now. I think. Do you think if it was present day? And he knew and like the way he is now present day or or even a security officer while the Cardassians were. um, I'm going to start over, actually. So we so we we. I believe that while Odo doesn't want to turn Kira in in the flashback, he does use semantics to make it logically possible for him to not turn turn her in, like he says to her, you know you were not guilty of the charge i was investigating do you think that if it was like a year later when odo officially had the sec- or whenever he f- officially gets the security job and he is arguably kind of like a detective and a patrolman in-, in one because he does and he still does that in present day he like would stop someone doing something on the street but he or on the promenade but also does investigations for crimes that are committed do you think that later when he has that job he would have turned kira in anyway for being part of the underground which was you know illegal in the Cardassian world so while it wasn't what he was investigating she still was doing something illegal do you think he would have turned her in
0: Yeah. Um, So, like, you're saying if, like, someone like Kira had sabotaged the station, like, as he was working for the Bajorans, or as he was later working for the Cardassians? As he was later
1: working for the Cardassians. Like.
0: I'm gonna go with probably not, because... Because, like, Odo doesn't seem to be, like, super supportive of, like, the occupation. And, like, it was sabotage that got fixed two days later and gave the people, the, like, Bajoran laborers in ore processing, like, you know, a couple, basically, a brief, brief, brief reprieve from the working conditions that which a lot of times led to their their deaths, which Odo references when he first meets Ducat. And then Ducat says something interesting about the difference between, oh, those are just casualties. This is murder. When he asks, has he ever seen a dead body? Which I thought was interesting. Um, so, yeah, I don't. Because you don't think you would think the punishment
1: would fit the crime. Like, you know, that whoever the person yeah, is would I... probably get executed. And that is not a crime that they, you know, they didn't murder yeah. anyone. I guess I could see that. Yeah. I was just curious.
0: And it was just, like, interesting seeing Odo, five years ago Odo, cut five years ago Kira slack for, you know, of course it wasn't actually her who did the sabotage, it was a, a, coworker, a co a co-underground member while she actually did kill Vatrick, but I just, I don't see season one Odo letting five years ago Kira off at at, at any point, because she still did bad, because he was, like, just so different in season one um, than I think the different, more ambiguous, uh, morally ambiguous kind of characterization we're, we're given here. But yeah, I would hope, I would hope not. So you're
1: saying, like, maybe in previous episodes he would have, but maybe... Like, episodes we've seen, he, he might have still been like, no, you're
0: guilty, whatever. Got it. Yeah, maybe... Yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. Um. But yeah, they definitely, like, I think in terms of, like, the hierarchy of, like, what's bad versus what's really bad and what's justice and what's not, this episode wants us to explore. I think really, like, now the show's willing to engage with like okay but Odo worked for the Cardassians what was that like how do we rectify that and some of the like sketch points for his character that they had in, in season one right yeah
1: so, so be- they basically heard my questions from this podcast and went back in time and decided to answer some of my yeah. Odo in yeah. the past questions
0: yeah, yeah Iris Steven Bear is actually a time traveler
1: <laughs> maybe I'm the time traveler who knows
0: oh interesting
1: (laughs) did you have anything else before we get into our regular segments
0: no no i think that that's it um yeah look up film noirs and if you liked this episode there's like lots of 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 films and and stories that you can kind of explore and and get that maybe get that vibe
1: maybe we can share some of our favorite noir films in the note, in the show notes for people like a list of like five or something i'm giving us more homework i'm sorry
0: yeah, maybe we'll see, we'll see. I feel like we edit this. might cut this out. But yeah, no. We'll... Or I can just. And I haven't seen nearly. It's hard for me to just pick five. No, I, no, like, I didn't
1: mean. I feel like I haven't f- seen okay. as many. I as didn't I mean too. five uh, each. I meant like we can just you know make a little short list. Fine, maybe we could just each say our favorite one. Y- you can uh, cut this out. I, don't know if it's like my... I just yeah. think it's fun to add extra things
0: anyway i would check out double indemnity that's that's i would or sunset boulevard if you were more like if you wanted like something that's arguably a little bit campier but still noir but like is more like about movies and and not just set in la but like has, like, Hollywood in the movie industry, definitely check out Sunset Boulevard. But, like, I think Double Indemnity is more representative. Not more representative of the genre, but, like, you know, it doesn't have the whole, like, it's a movie about movies element to it that I know some people can take or leave. Right. But Sunset Boulevard is great.
1: I co sign so. both of those movies, but also Blade Runner, the final cut.
0: Yeah, and I mean, there's a whole, like, if you want to get into more, like, neo-noir, modern noir, like, um, Memento, like, Christopher Nolan's film is, like, a neo-noir. There's a lot of Michael Mann films that kind of have this whole, like, sub-genre of neo-noir called neon noir, so that's, like, your um, Thief would be an example of that. Um, Miami Vice 2006, even which is another movie that I really like, that you kind of either jive with it or you don't, it's all vibes. Um, Heat, I think you could, could classify because it's like a ca- crime drama like that. Um, I haven't
1: seen a lot of these, so
0: they're definitely like, yeah, like it's, I think they're worth checking out. They're good. I think you'd, I don't know if you'd like Miami Vice to be honest. No, wait, fuck, yeah, you would. You just watched um, Mulholland Drive. Well, Mulholland Drive is, like, a neo-noir, too.
1: Yeah, it is. Um... With
0: the, like, uh, with the kind of, like, l- <laughs> this word's overused, but it actually is a David Lynch film, so I'll use it. But with kind of, like, the Lynchian kind of interests and, in, like, you know, the trans, like, you know. But, yeah, like, Mulholland Drive is... I know is a neo-noir technically yes
1: um, if you are interested in Mulholland drive i just recorded a podcast with our friends from wild pretty things um it should be out by the time this episode drops i know we are not normally doing plugs in this section but it seemed relevant
0: yeah no i mean i i went there because i knew you had just yes. watched it i watched it twice well wild sorry continue just vibes all vibes um all right well i don't know about you but we've we've talked about noir films and a little bit of star trek for about an hour now and i'm i'm getting kind of thirsty i didn't bring bring anything to drink with me to this recording how about you elise how are you feeling
1: i'm also thirsty but i also feel like the way that you say the word noir like does something with your mouth so like i definitely need a drink the way i say no, no the everyone you, you like say the saying the word in general oh. um i was not commenting <laughs> on your accent or anything like that like your tongue the way your tongue like, moves when you say the word
0: I meant. <laughs> no because i was like oh wait it has an o and it's like my long kind of o's and O sounds <laughs> are where like you hear the canadian a lot so i'm like do i say noir wrong no like, it was what? definitely like, like but it's like a french the word the way
1: that your tongue moves when you say the word and i wouldn't know how someone else's tongue moves during something. Like that, so I feel like it was the general experience of saying the word noir, but now I'm rambling,
0: (laughs) which I love to do. So, who are you thirsting for this week, Elise? I
1: am thirsting for just in general the opening scene of this show with Quark and Vatric Palra. You, You know, we know she's manipulating him and like being very I don't know what the word is, but. There's thunder in the background. There's a comfortable looking couch. She's calling him kind. They're just flirting with each other. But they also both like, well, I think Cork is a little naive in this scene, actually, too. Um, Like, he knows she is up to something shady, but he doesn't know, like, how serious it is. Um, But she just, the way she looks at him, she's giving him eyes. And it's a vibe. And I would like to go on that date. (laughs)
0: Me too. That was actually going to be my candidate. And then I saw you had it in the notes. I'm like, again, our similar tastes. But...
1: <laughs> uh, did you have anything to add about that scene or just, just agree with all the amazing things I said?
0: Yeah, I just basically co signed everything. And like when we talked about, like, you know, her whole, like, the op- opulence. I own everything. Um. You know, of like the earrings and the dress mm-hmm. and, and things like that. So yeah, it just, it works. Um. It really, really does. And what's your candidate for most Star Trek thing of the episode? Um.
1: As we know, I often like to mention the Quoto moments in these Deep Space Nine episodes. So while this may not be the most Star Trek thing, it is the most Deep Space Nine thing. Um, (laughs) When when Quark is on his deathbed, was it Cisco that said this? Yeah, because Cisco's the only one that calls him Constable now, because no one else is allowed to call him that. He's like, "You look like you lost your best friend, Constable." And I was like, "Yes, I'm here for Cisco pointing out my my ship." <laughs> so, yeah, it was great. What about you?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that like as much as I liked the ending of this episode and how like no film noir it, it actually is. Um Again, I should have mentioned this before. No R meaning black in in French. Um, the most Star Trek thing is we have this like morally ambiguous ending of these two friends that like their friendship will never be the same after. And like, I don't know if this is ever referenced again because it's ninety Star Trek. In like early season Deep Space Nine, where Deep Space Nine becomes more serialized later, but um, you know you have this all oh, we'll will never be the same. And I'm sure they're back to being friends really quickly. And don't talk about this ever again. Yeah. <laughs> Which you know, that's that's that is what it is. It is what it is. It is what it is. It is what I'm it
1: curious. Is. Cause I keep I you know, something that Matt and I talk about sometimes is how or I will say how I'm excited for the new show. Strange New Worlds that's coming out on um Paramount Plus and how it's gonna be more episodic than um, you know, previous the last few treks anyway. Um I have a hard time believing that a show in two thousand and I guess it'll be two thousand twenty two. I don't remember when that's coming out. I have a hard time believing that That kind of... An episodic show in, like, current... Like, current... Coming out now would, like... Not... Would... I feel like there will be more continuity between, like, things that have happened in the past. Like, I can't imagine them, like, doing an episodic show and not... Sometimes discussing what happened in previous episodes. Even if it's, like, not... Yeah. uh, Related. Like, I just... I think that's something that modern audiences need a lot of the time, I don't know. And I speak to people who like don't like Star Trek because of its episodic nature and anyway. I do hope that show is yeah. very episodic, but it it would it would feel maybe disjointed now for a show to not to like forget things that happened previous.
0: Yeah, so like I don't know if this is based on anything I've actually read, like in terms of like production interviews, cast and crew, or just an assumption. But my feeling, guess, assumption sense, um, is it might be more like late, like late stage DS9, like not necessarily the, the final run of like, you know, 12 episodes or 10 episodes or whatever. Yeah. It's like hyper serialized like to the end, but like everything kind of like, post season i guess four um generally where it's like you still do get like the planet of the week stuff but like certain things do carry over more than they ever did on right They like, because um, they always had and g near the end was kind of doing yeah some of so
1: it, i i would but... i would like describe it like it was episodic but then everything that happened during the season kind of came to a head like at the second to last episode like so they did like kind of wrap up the season in like relation to the tone of whatever happened that season. So I it probably will be like that. I I can imagine.
0: Yeah. Or like the the character dynamics and stuff like in their relationships will like carry over, but still yeah, be more for sure. like, planet of the week. Like I like hmm. and this isn't necessarily a criticism This is just an observation, but, like, as we record this, season four of Star Trek Discovery is is just started airing in North America. Apologies to our non-North American listeners who haven't been able to see it yet without pirating. Um, But, like, each season of Discovery has this overarching, potentially, like, galactic-level galaxy-ending, like, threat to it or mystery that they're trying to solve, and, like, I don't expect strange new worlds to be that serialized in terms of like a whole overarching right for things. sure but but like the the character beats I expect
1: yeah from or I could imagine there being like two part enders or something like that whereas like a little well, bit like sure, a bigger for sure, for sure. you know a movie-length story over the last two episodes or whatever but yeah no I, I would agree that that is my expectation Um I guess we'll find out when that drops
0: I think we get Picard before Stranger World premiere. Right, so I have to rewatch the first year?
1: season of that because I watched it before I watched TNG and I haven't rewatched it since finishing TNG. I'm a little nervous too. I'll, I'll admit. Oh, yeah. uh, while we're real quick while we were discussing Star Trek in general, I finally finished my TOS watch. Yay. Um yay. Season three was rough. Um <laughs> to say the
0: least. There were there was There's m- an O there's a couple okay episodes. No, there
1: made. there definitely are. And then there's a couple that are kind of like classics that you have to watch even though they're not great. Plato's stepchildren being one of them. Um but yeah, so I definitely, um, I'm glad I did that. I'm probably going to try for the animated series next. That shouldn't take me too long. Um, and I'm in season six of Voyager. So after that, I will watch Entourage. Entourage, Jesus Christ. I will watch Enterprise. <laughs> I've already seen Entourage. Um, I don't need to watch that again. Um, but yeah, so Enterprise is next. So, and for those have been who have been keeping up with my Star Trek, um, Watching, which is probably none of you, so except for Matt, but um, yeah.
0: Enterprise really is the entourage of Star Trek. <laughs>
1: we didn't get a movie version, though, <laughs> which probably is for the best because the entourage movie wasn't not that great.
0: I mean, we almost kind of did. <laughs> so, like, that's there funny. was talk, like the, the there's talk of like the first post Nemesis movie to kind of be not a continuation of enterprise like with that cast but it was going to be like the Romulan war mm. and like be like a continuation of enterprise kind of like inspired in that that time period interesting and like bridging the gap and have an ancestor of Kirk's is like the main character right and then basically Paramount was like no, thank you. Goodbye, Rick Berman. I
1: mean, um, Nemesis was fair. not a great movie, and so I understand them not wanting to do more with that. Also, Like, just even have another movie for a while. So, yeah.
0: Well, yeah. Anyway, well, maybe we can, if we ever decide to do a Patreon or something, maybe we can do bonus episodes about the movies. Oh, I mean, yeah. Nemesis is bad. That's my public thought, but it's just like they started like taking it kind of out of the family and just uh I have complex John Logan feelings. Yeah, we'll just. That's fine. I just I like listened some to of the stuff he does. Yeah. But...
1: I just listened to the nemesis chapter in um, oh, the right, 50 right. year mission and I didn't realize this, but they were going to have a different crew of the Enterprise or do a different. They wanted them to do, and actually, I give Rick Berman credit for this. Um, for once, and this will be the one and only time that I say this, um, because Enterprise was about to start. He was like, "We can't introduce like a completely new thing in a movie, and then have a completely new thing on a TV show." And he probably wanted his show to be like bigger than this movie, but at the same time, I do think that would have been a lot of like new, um. Cruise you know, at the same time for people. So I don't know. It would be like C S I um Miami or something. I don't know how were they too many spin offs at once.
0: Yeah, we can blame Brett Spiner for yes. a lot of nemesis. <laughs> we can. Um anyways. Brent Spider. Anyways, yeah. No, we will leave the. Nope. Well, Paul. Yeah. Okay. All <laughs> right. Until next time. Where can folks find more of you on the internet, Elise?
1: Yes, you can find me on Twitter and Letterbox at Elise underscore Tendi. E l y s e underscore T e n d i. And
0: you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well at, at MattyHugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can catch Pod Wraiths together on Twitter and Instagram at PodWraiths. And you can email us at PodWraiths, P-O-D-W-R-A-I-T-H-S, at gmail.com.
1: Please remember to rate and review our podcasts on the podcasting system of your choice. And thank you again to DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song.
0: And until next time, computer and program. Bye.